Some of us are afraid of closed spaces, or maybe we are just frightened by heights. There are those who fear death, who fear unemployment, being alone. My question is, what are you afraid of? What just frightens you to no end? Last week, Will talked a little bit about fear uh, and the fear that Joshua faced while he was stepping out in, you know, and, and, and trying to replace a legendary leader like Moses. But we're going to look at another story today in the Old Testament in the book of Judges, and I would encourage you to turn to Judges chapter 6 and follow along in chapters 6 and 7 and uh, see what it has to say, because after Joshua conquered the land, and after he settled the people in, and he said, now you've finished taking over, finished doing what I told you to do, and finished doing what God told you to do, people got a little bit, a un- little comfortable. They said, oh, we've already fought this battle, we've already done what we need to do, everything's okay now. And so they settled in, they got comfortable, they compromised, And they tried to uh, worship God, but also uh, accept those who were worshiping idols and saying, well, what what they do is okay. Your God and my God are the same God, da-da-da-da-da. And eventually they found themselves swept in and they ignored God altogether and focused almost exclusively on idol worship. Now, I don't need to tell you that God wasn't pleased. All you've got to do is read through the Old Testament and see what he has to say about this. So he allowed nations from around these folks that he had chosen to be his people to oppress them, to give them a hard time, to do raids inside their country and to destroy them. And during these times of oppression, God would then somehow manage to raise a judge, someone who would serve as a judge over Israel and and give them relief and deliver them for a certain period of time from their enemies so that they could refocus on God. But the Bible says that every time the judge died, then the people went back to worshiping idols. And when they did, new oppressors would come in, and they would make life miserable for them in greater ways than ever before. Judges chapter 2, verse 19 says, When the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping him. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Now, folks, we end up hearing that, and we, we, we have to come up with the reality of human nature being what it is. We tend to do what we want to do a lot of times, and we struggle with that in our lives constantly. But what a testament that is to the patience of God and to his grace. He may allow for us to experience hardship, but the hardship that he wants us to experience is not designed to to just be, I'm, I'm angry at you, so I'm going to get even. Even though his anger is a righteous anger, his anger and his discipline is designed to help us to get back to him and to be focused on him once again. And sometimes the same cycle that took place in the Israelites' life can happen to us as well. We find ourselves in a time of need. We find ourselves in a time of of just crisis, and we cry out to help, and we cry to God, and he rescues us, and we're grateful. 
But then we quickly forget about him and go on our merry way, doing the very same things that got us into the mess in the first place. And we forget God, we ignore him, and we ignore what he has to say about something we know to be wrong, and the cycle starts all over again. But God, in his mercy and grace, still pursues us, still loves us, still disciplines us for our own good. We're going to talk about a guy by the name of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and 7, and he was the fifth in a line of judges that came to the nation of Israel. And the problem that, they were, that the Israelites were dealing with at that time was, was the Midianite hordes. Midianites were a nomadic people who would come in and on their camels, they would come unexpectedly and they would basically destroy everything in their path. They would take away plunder, they would take, take away animals, they would, uh, they would take away uh, food, but they would leave a trail of destruction behind them. And Judges 6 says that people of Israel would go so far as to live in caves in the mountains whenever the raids would come. And in these hard times, these folks had to operate by stealth. They had to be, they had to be uh, very, very careful at what they did. And the Bible tells us in chapter 6, verse 10, that the, uh, Gideon was threshing uh, wheat but he was threshing it in a wine press. Now, why a wine press? If you're not familiar with the old ways of doing things, there were big vats, and they stood fairly high. And so he was threshing this wheat in the wine press, but he was also threshing it because if the Midianites showed up, he could just duck, and they wouldn't see him. So here he was dealing with fear, But he was also there to honor God by providing for his family. He obeyed his command to provide. And I want you to understand something that is so key in this whole process of what we've been talking about as far as being empowered. And that is that victory over certain situations does not come before we obey God. Because we have a tendency of saying, well, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And we try to bargain with him. No, victory in our lives comes as we obey God and as we begin to grasp our value to him. And so the messenger of God ends up showing up. And commentators believe that this probably was a pre-incarnate form of Jesus who showed up to, he's called the angel of the Lord. And he calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And rather than believing what God says about him, Gideon instead just asks a whole bunch of questions. And he just basically says, why God? Why is God doing this to us? Why are we so miserable? Why are you allowing this? And it's interesting to note that in that passage of Scripture, God doesn't answer him. And I think it was because Gideon really knew the answer. A lot of times we ask God to answer us. And he doesn't. And probably it's because we know the answer. We know what the Bible says about that. We know what we need to do about this. 
And when we don't do it, then troubles begin. Years before, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18, God told the people through Moses just before he died, follow me and you will have enjoy life and also enjoy prosperity, but disobey me and you will know oppression and destruction. Earlier in Judges chapter 6, where Gideon was hiding the grain, a prophet had reminded the people of God about this very thing. And I think that God didn't answer because Gideon knew. God focused on who he saw Gideon to be instead. He saw him as a mighty warrior, chosen by God to help the people. I think that one of the reasons why we fear so much is because we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We see ourselves based on our circumstances and also based on what other people think of us. Gideon asked God in chapter 6, verse 15, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And like Gideon, we allow for our circumstances to define us. We allow for classifications to limit us. We allow what people say about us to become our reality rather than allowing for God to pour into us and help us to see who it is that we really are. And most of the time, we're beat down by the relentless badgering of the enemy who comes to us at some of our most vulnerable moments and, you, and says, hey, you, you want to do something for God? Well, I remember that you did this. I remember that you were a failure in this. You don't deserve. Somebody said that if uh, Satan reminds you of your past, you need to remind him of his future. He's going to be destroyed. So don't let, don't let some twerp like Satan, I can call him names. It's okay. The enemy, don't let him get the best of you. But when it does, a sense of unworthiness sweeps over us. And we respond to God's call. We don't respond to God's calling the way that we should because we imagine that he could never, never use us after all we've done. And sometimes we're fearful and we ask, what if this happens? What if that takes place? Why, this is really, really big. I can't overcome it. And the result is that nothing is accomplished for God's glory or for the benefit of other people, and fear will freeze us into inactivity. And that's exactly what had happened to Gideon. Instead of moving to have his people be free, he was cowering near a wine press. In providing food for his family, he was doing something important, but God called Gideon to do something significant. And there's a big difference between doing what's important and what's significant. The vital thing that God called him to do was to free his people from oppression. And as soon as Gideon realized that somehow he was talking to God, 
and that something miraculous had taken place in front of him, he built an altar there and he called it, the Lord is my peace. And for Gideon, it meant that as long as God led him, he would have peace within. But ultimately, it also meant that through Gideon, God would provide peace to his people. Folks, there's so much conflict in our world today. I suspect that there are probably some of you today who are in here who are just angry. Maybe you're angry at the church. I don't know. Maybe you're angry at individuals, but you're angry at politics, at people, at failed relationships, at tensions at work. And so you focus on those basic things, those important things, while ignoring the vital things that God is calling you to do. Ajay Lal shared that last weekend that one of the preachers in India by the name of Sultan Masih was murdered because of his faith. And he died because of his faith in the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And he died at, at peace knowing that what he was doing, which was to shepherd God's people and to care for them and to even protect them, was significant and vital to God and his kingdom. And my question to you is, do you want to help people experience freedom? Do you want freedom in your own life? It begins with the Prince of Peace, Jesus He invites us to know the peace that passes understanding by surrendering to him as Lord and Savior and allowing, us, allowing him to transform us through his grace, through his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his constant love for us. We'll mention that we saw this victory take place earlier this morning in first service as we saw a new sister born into the family, but also as we saw someone say, I choose Jesus to be my peace. I choose Jesus to be my salvation. I choose Jesus to be my forgiver. So God told Gideon to destroy an altar to Baal. Now Gideon was still probably dealing with some fear because he ended up doing that at night. He didn't trust God enough. And he did it so nobody could see him. And God delivered him from that. And later, he gathered the fighting men of Israel in chapter 7. And when he gathered them together, there were 32,000 of them that came and that gathered with him. And yet, those who were opposing them were huge in number. You read through chapter 7 and you read that the Midianites numbered close to 135,000, if not more. That's four to one odds. And that's pretty significant. But God told Gideon out of the 32,000 to send people home. In Judges chapter 7, verse 2, we read, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. And God 
pared down the army from 32,000 to 10,000. And then God also told Gideon, no, that's still too many. And eventually it just boiled down to 300 people, 300 men. That's 450 to 1 odds. But with God, those odds are nothing to be afraid of. Folks, what odds are gripping you? What are you facing? What fears are paralyzing you? And sometimes when we deal with those things, we need to know that God is with us and we need to know that he is, he is, with, he is helping us. And that's exactly what Gideon sought. And he said, God, I, I hope this isn't asking too much, but here's what I want to ask you to do. He put a piece of fleece on the ground. Fleece is something that we wear at wintertime. It's wool. Uh, the, the real stuff is, not the artificial stuff. And it's very, very, very absorbent. And he said, okay, God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that the, thing, the fleece is wet when the morning dew hits, but make sure that the ground around it is dry. And God did that. You see, Gideon somehow needed some kind of reassurance to know that God was truly with him. And he didn't have a bad burrito the night before and was just kind of dealing with some indigestion. And then Gideon went on to say, okay, and, and God did that and he wrung out a bowlful of water from that fleece and the, the ground was dry. And then he said, okay, God, I, I'd like for you to reverse the project, uh, process. Make sure that the, that the ground is wet, but that the fleece is dry. And God did exactly that. And along the way, God encouraged Gideon, and as Gideon obeyed, his faith grew and his fear decreased. Last week, you heard how Joshua was encouraged to become strong and courageous. Joshua had some fear to overcome, just like Gideon did. And Joshua faced fear that didn't, uh, about not measuring up to Moses, the greatest leader of all time. And Gideon was faced with the fear of being a nobody, the very least in his clan and in his family. But I want to suggest to you that both in Joshua and Gideon's case, the opposite of their fear was not their own determination to be courageous. Personal courage is not the opposite of fear, friends. Faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. Faith that God is God and there is no one like him. Faith that God keeps his promises. Faith that God is greater than any obstacle or challenge that we may face. Faith that as we obey, God will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his great power that is at work within us. Someone said, fear knocked at the door. Faith answered and no one was there. Judges chapter 6 verse 34 tells us that the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he called together his army, and God pared it down quickly, as we just talked about. But then God reassured Gideon even one more time. 
And he said, go on down to the camp. Go on down to the Midianite camp and just listen to the conversation that I'm going I'm to provide for you. And in chapter 7, verses 13 through 15, we read this. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. He said, I had a dream, he was saying. A round, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. And with 300 men, he divided the 300 men into three companies of 100 each. And he said, watch for my signal. But this is what he gave them. He didn't give them spears and all those kinds of weapons that were very popular back then. He wouldn't have given them bazookas like, they would hear, like we would have today or, or, or other weapons like that, semi-automatic or automatic weapons. He didn't give them those things. He gave them a fiery torch, a jar to cover the torch, and a trumpet. And the Bible pretty much refers to that as a shofar, which is pretty much of a ram's horn. And those things could make a lot of noise if you knew how to use them. He gave him one of those. And then they encircled the camp of the Midianites and they blew their trumpet at Gideon's signal and they smashed the clay jar so that the torches could be seen and they yelled for the Lord and for Gideon. Now folks, 300 people can make a lot of noise, can't they? I don't know how many we have in here, probably about 120 or 130. I'd like to find out just how loud you can be. Okay? And I know, I know we got some big mouths in here, okay? So on the count of three, I would like for all of us together to yell out, go God, okay? You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. First service was louder than that, okay? And we only had about 40 people. And you all are trying to be churchy and respectable. No, I want you to think stadium. I want you to think a sports center where you're out there just yelling your head off. And when it comes to three, yell out, go God. Ready? One, two, three, go God! Okay, that's better. Okay. I was starting to worry about you all. We can make a lot of noise, can't we? I want you to imagine 300 people spread out and yelling at the top of their lungs for the Lord and for Gideon. And they did just that. That would scare the wajibis out of anybody that was laying down and sleeping and all of a sudden they hear a battle cry like that. And the Midianite camp was in turmoil. And then verse 22 of chapter 7 says that... The Lord caused what takes place next 
because the Midianites started coming out with their weapons and they started killing each other. It didn't even involve these 300 guys. And when the fighting finally died down, 120,000 Midianites were dead and their kings were captured and executed. And all of this is because one man, one man who felt inadequate, chose to replace his fear with faith and obey God. You see, victory did not come before Gideon obeyed God. Victory came as he obeyed God and as he began to grasp his value in God. Folks, please listen to me. Forgiveness of our sins does not come before Jesus died on the cross. Forgiveness for our sins comes after he did. After he obeyed the Father. After he suffered and died for us so that we could be reunited with God and have true peace. And as the Lord of our lives, he's given us an example that we should follow in his steps. And sometimes we end up thinking that because Jesus already died. I don't have to do anything. I'm going to be okay and I'll accept them whenever I want to. Please, folks, please hear me. Now is the time of salvation, the Bible says. Now is the accepted time. Don't put off what you should be doing and should have done long ago. We just had a memorial service here this past week. Beth and the family are here. We grieve with them as Tony, at age 59, his life was taken from him. Tony knew the Lord, but it's a shock to the rest of us. What if it happened and he hadn't known him? It would be too late. And I'm just so grateful for the promises that Tony is able to enjoy. Don't put it off. Don't wait. It could happen to you as you leave this place. Overwhelming odds. Some of us in this room face them, but maybe it's not an army of 135,000, but it might just as well be. It may be the grief of losing someone unexpectedly, as I just described, or the loss of employment with no prospect in sight. It may be a call from the doctor that confirms your greatest fear, the C word, or the news that your marriage is over, the word that the police that, that comes to your door and says that your child has been in a serious accident. Maybe, maybe it's something even positive, but also very challenging, where it's a challenge to move from selfishness over to generosity, to think less of yourself and to think more of others, to tell someone you know about Jesus, to commit yourself Not to be a gossip or a critic of the church, but to uphold the church and talk about her in a real positive way. It's not perfect people, folks. We're not perfect. No one is. But this is the bride of Christ. This is who Jesus died for. 
And we have an opportunity to share with others just how special it is to be with God's people. Maybe you need to change some things about your lifestyle. Because you know deep down inside that even though you continue to engage in them, they don't really please God. And those and many other things can well up in fear and paralyze us and say, well, but, but I can't give that up. What, what if I do this? What, what happens? And so much so sometimes that we end up turning around and trying to blame God for the choices that we make. And we say, why, God? Why me? Why now? You see, Gideon asked that. Moses did too. When he was at the burning bush, God said, I've chosen you to go free my people from slavery. And Moses said, why me? I'm not qualified. Came up with all sorts of excuses. And the final one was, Lord, I don't want to. Please send someone else. And as with Moses, sometimes I wonder just how much God wants to grab us by the shoulders and just kind of gently shake us or maybe shake us a little bit harder than what we would like and say, don't you know that I want you to deal with this? Don't you know that you are uniquely qualified for this time, this event, this challenge, this opportunity? You are not disqualified because of your status or position. You are the person I need. You are just the person I want. So how do we move from fear to faith? I want to share three things as we close worth considering. The number one is that when fear and inadequacy seem to knock on your door, don't focus on your status, that is, who am I? Focus on your standing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are all priests in this room. We have a message to declare to others. And he has chosen you and chosen me to do that. Secondly, when fear and inadequacy threaten, don't focus on the size of your problem. Focus on the size of your God. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to His great power that is at work within us. He can save you from sin and certain spiritual death. And if he is able to do that, don't you think he can help you with the various challenges that you face in life, with the various difficulties, with the various troubles? God is your fearless father. Jesus is your faithful big brother. He's your rescuer, your overcomer. And finally, when fear and inadequacy flood in, refuse to focus on what you don't have. Because we like to do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have the training to go ahead and tell others about Jesus. You got the Holy Spirit. I don't have this. I don't have the money to do this. And God simply says, trust me. So don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on who you have. 
Because you have the God of the universe, the Lord of creation, the owner of all things, the king of heaven, the great conqueror over sin and death. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, thanking you. Thanking you that you can help us to overcome fear. Thanking you that you can help us to overcome our sense of inadequacy of who we are and are able to help us see who it is that you have made us to be and how you have empowered us to do what you want us to do. May our hearts be attentive to your call. May our ears listen intently for your words. May our mind be firmly resolved on doing all that you have called us to be. Lord, may this church May this group and this family, all of whom I love so, so much, may this church be the mighty army that will surround the enemy and defeat him, but will reach out to others and lovingly lead them to you, to the foot of the cross whether it be through ministry or through a personal witness or through a study together, Lord, help us to have the courage to do that because there are so many in our community who are dying and going to hell without Jesus. We claim that victory, Lord. We ask that you would provide. We need you. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us so that we can do what it is that you've called us to do. I pray in Jesus' mighty, holy, righteous, and victorious name.